is on the story of Joseph. But every once in a while, I take a little detour from that, and I usually do that on the first Sunday of the month when we have the Lord's Supper, bring you a topical message, and that's what I'm going to do, God willing, today. Gospel of John, chapter 2. The Gospel of John, chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they lacked wine, when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now, this speech of the Lord Jesus is not abusive. This is the way they spoke when he was hanging on the cross, dying, and he gave his mother to John, the apostle. He said, Woman, behold your son, John. And he said to the woman, This is your mother. So this is the way that it was spoken of, especially by him as the Messiah. His mother said to the servants, verse 5, Whatsoever he says unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins, that's about 27 gallons each. 18 to 27 gallons. Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And then he said, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast, the person who was in charge of the festivities, had tasted the water that was made wine, he did not know, of course, that it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. And the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man usually at the beginning does set forth the good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say praise the Lord, and you may be seated. I think it is the nature of man and it's really because of a lot of guilt that we have, to complicate things. I think we take things that are ordinarily straightforward and simple, and we complicate them. And we want to know when and why and how and why. I studied philosophy, and uh, the, the main issue in philosophy is why. That's what you do in philosophy. You ask why, not just what happened. But why? What's behind it? Why is it that way? Well, I might ask you this question. What is the whole duty of Christians unto the Lord? You might think, well, my goodness, there are lots of things that we could say. And I'm going to show you this can be simplified. What characterizes a genuine child of God? 
What is absolutely necessary to partake of salvation? Is it 15 things you do? Is it five things you do? Is it several things you do? What is it? What is demanded of me from Christ? What is demanded of you from the Lord Jesus Christ? What is the whole duty of those who would be saved as well as the duty of those who are saved? Let me see if I can answer these questions. You can see from reading here with me that the occasion is a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Now, we're not told whose wedding it was, but perhaps it was the wedding of a relative because they were invited. The time of the wedding, you notice it says in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, and the third day. Well, they're counting three days from a previous event. According to chapter 1, Jesus had been present at the Jordan River where John the Baptist was baptizing. If you look in chapter 1 and verse 28, these things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. Then verse 29 says, and the next day, and the next day John saw Jesus and he said, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the son of the uh, the sin of the world. So Jesus, uh, John proclaims Jesus to be the Messiah. And then we find in verses 35 through 39 that two of John's disciples followed Jesus and conversed with him. And one of them was Andrew, the brother of Simon, Peter. You read that in verse 40. And then Andrew fetched Peter, verse 41, Let's look at verse 41. It says, uh, He finds his own brother Simon. And he said, We have found a Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. The word Christ is from the Greek, and uh, Messiah is from the Hebrew. And they both have identical definitions. Uh, the anointed one. The Messiah is the anointed one. The Christ is the anointed one. And it says that the next day Jesus went into Galilee, verse 43, and he called Philip. That's what it says in verse 43. And he said, follow me. And it says that Philip was of Bethsaida, verse 44, the city of Andrew in Peter. And Philip, in turn, went out and found Nathanael, verse 45. And he said, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. The, the history of our Lord Jesus Christ is complicated because he had to fulfill all of these passages of Scripture. You see, Israel was looking for a Messiah to be born perhaps in Bethlehem, or more importantly, probably in Jerusalem. And the Lord Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but then what happened to him? Well, when Herod threatened to kill all the babies born because of the visit of the wise men, we have come to worship him who's born king of the Jews. Herod was so terrified, he said to the wise men, well, you, you, when you find him, come back and tell me that I can come worship him too. He wanted to kill him. And then the Lord said to Joseph, listen, Herod wants to kill 
Jesus, and so you take him down into Egypt, and you go to Egypt. And so Mary and Joseph got up and went to Egypt. Why? That it might be fulfilled by the prophets which said, I have called my son out of Egypt. See, everything they did was to fulfill Scripture. Then when he came back, they settled in an area that was largely a Gentile area. And so that's why this fellow says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said, instead of arguing with him, verse 46, he said, come and see. Come and see. And so when Jesus saw Nathanael coming, he said, here comes an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. And Nathanael said, verse 48, where did you know me from? Jesus said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. How did he see you? Nobody else saw it, but Jesus did. And Nathanael said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, because I said I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You're going to see much greater things than these. Hereafter, verse 51, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Then it says in chapter 2, and the third day. So you see, this other, this other situation took up a couple of days. And so Jesus and his disciples go to this wedding that they had been invited to. And wonder of wonders, they ran out of wine. They ran out of wine. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, perhaps saw this as an embarrassment to the host. And so she told Jesus about it. And Jesus' response to her was, look, the hour, the exact hour for me to begin to reveal myself as Messiah has not come. But look what Mary's response was to the servants in verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 5. Whatsoever he says unto you, do it. Now I contend that in that statement is the source of our authority, the standard of our duty, the singleness of our salvation, the Savior's command and the sinner's response all in that little sentence right there. Everything you need to know is in that phrase uttered by Mary. Let's look at it briefly. What is the source of our authority? Now look at that little phrase, verse 5. You may have a slightly different translation. Whatsoever he says unto you, do it. What is the source of our authority. He is whatsoever he says. That's the warrant for our lives. That's the warrant for our actions. That's the warrant for our salvation. That's the foundation for our salvation. He is whatever he says. He is our authority. We are not to get our authority from men. We are not to get our authority from preachers, from priests, from popes. I appreciate all of the councils that were held in the early days of Christendom, but we don't get our authority from those councils. 
We don't get them from books. We don't get them from confessions. We don't get them from visions. We don't get them from so-called prophets. We don't get them from dreams. We don't get them from signs or wonders. We get them from Christ. He is the source of our authority. Somebody asks, what do you believe? Well, I believe what my church believes. Well, what does your church believe? Well, my church believes what I believe. Well, what do you and your church believe? Well, we believe the same thing. What that means is I don't know what I believe. I don't know what I believe. But this is what mom and dad always believed. Well, you know what? You're going to have to answer to the Lord for yourself. You can't get any salvation and grace from your mom and dad. And you can't get it from your church. You can't get it from your denomination. Christ alone is our authority. Many, many, many professing Christians have some source of authority other than Christ. And this is why there's so much arguing and fighting and who's right and who's wrong. I'll tell you who's right. Christ is right. Let every man be a liar and let God be true. Romans chapter 3 and verse 4. I love to tell the story of old John Riesinger who's gone to be with the Lord now who was witnessing to a man. This man was having some problems with some of the doctrines that John believed. And John said, well, look, let me just read you a passage of Scripture without comment. I won't comment on it. I won't tell you, make any comments about what this means or that means. Just read it. You believe the Bible, don't you? Oh, yeah, I believe the Bible. So he read Ephesians chapter 1 to him. If you don't know what Ephesians chapter 1 says, you can get your Bible and read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. And he goes on. The first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1 is one sentence. Paul got started, and he just ran out of breath. And he had to take a pause at the end of verse 14. All of that is one long, unending sentence, verse 1 through 14. So John read Ephesians 1, 1 through 14, and when he finished reading, he closed the Bible, and he looked at the man, and he said, Now, do you believe that? And you know what the man said? Not the way you read it. Believe this, the authority is where the power is. The power is where the authority is. Wherever the authority, whoever has the authority, has the power. And our Lord Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Why? If we tried treating a policeman the way men treat Christ, the policeman says, halt in the name of the law. Well, I won't do it. I get my authority from my uncle. Well, when I was growing up, you would get in trouble. By the way, I don't want to get into politics this morning, but I think this is an ethical, moral, I think this is an issue about authority in the United States. You know that all authority is delegated authority. The original authority is in the Lord. 
but he has given authority to men. He gives authority to parents to govern their children. He gives authority to mayors and to governors and to presidents and to Congress and to senators. He holds them responsible for that. But he gives them authority. And when I watch television and I see a lot of these shootings, they're tragic, where the policeman has to shoot somebody, I have never heard one word from any of those news commentators about anybody resisting arrest. If you don't resist arrest, you won't get shot. And the policeman pulls me over, and I've, had, I've been pulled over a couple of times. And when I was younger, I was pulled over and told to put my hands on the car because I ran over a policeman. <laughs> yeah, I ran over him. He was on his motorcycle. I'll tell you about that another day. But he was mad, and he said, put your hands on the car, and I put them on the car. You just do what they tell you to do. You know, if you haven't done anything, then that'll come out just a little while, won't it? Quit resisting arrest, and there won't have to be any of this shooting and all of this. Tra it's a tragedy. I don't want to see anybody shot by a policeman or anybody else. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. This can be a contentious chapter, but for my purpose today, this clears the bell. Romans chapter 12. Would you like to turn over there? Let's turn over to Romans chapter 12, and at least you'll know where it is, and you can read it and study it and go over it later on your own. The book of Romans chapter 12. And I'm telling you wrong, it's chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For well, there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Rulers are not of terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. And guess what? When Paul wrote that, he was not under a friendly government. He was under the Roman government. And he said, every power in this universe has been given authority by God. And if they misuse that power, if they abuse that power, they abuse the people over which they ought to be ruling, God will deal with them. But according to this, my friends, when I resist the authority on earth given by the Lord in heaven, I resist the one who gave it. And for those of us who name the name of Jesus Christ, he is our authority. Not men, not councils, not creeds, not books about Christ, but Christ himself. What he blesses, no man can curse, and what he curses, no man can bless. And so Mary says, whatsoever he says... That's the source of our authority. Number two, what is the standard of our duty? By what standard are we to live? Well, here it is. Whatsoever he says. Whatsoever he says. We're back in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verse 5. Whatever he says. Not only do we not get our authority from men, we do not get our guidelines from men. 
Our Lord Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now listen to me, dear ones. Salvation does not depend upon what men say. Salvation does not depend upon what men say. No words of men can give you life. Quit listening to men and listen to Christ. I know the Lord gives teachers. That's what I'm doing today. I once taught from a passage in 1 John where John wrote and said, You have no need that any man teach you. You ever read that? Trouble is, John was teaching us when he said, You have no need that any man teach you. So it doesn't mean what you would ordinarily think it would mean. It takes a little studying to find out what he meant by that. One thing I know he meant, the standard of our duty is not men. The standard of our duty is whatever he says. Whatever he says. Nothing that I can say can give you life. Only what Christ says. Listen to Christ and find out what he has said. This is the standard of our salvation. Listen, I believe that religion is the invention of the devil. I believe the salvation of Christ is by revelation. Revelation or religion? Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty seven, No man knows the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father but the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? Well, they responded, Some say you're one of the Old Testament prophets, being reincarnated. Some say you're John the Baptist, come back and had his head cut off and he's come back to life. Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? This is all found in Matthew chapter 16. He said, they said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. The natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. They have to be spiritually discerned. The spirit of God has to come to us. The spirit of Christ has to come to us and reveal things to us from the word of God. In religion, there are as many ways to get to heaven as there are church buildings, synagogues, and temples. And Solomon said it this way, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14, 12, Proverbs 16, 25. What did our Lord Jesus say? I've already mentioned it earlier this morning. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. The Lord told Jeremiah the prophet, you say to the people, Jeremiah, that I'm sending you to, behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. The way of death is the way of religion. The way of life is the way of revelation in Christ. Once you understand that Christ is the only authority in salvation, then we need to find out what he says because his words are spirit and life. Number three, what is the scope of our salvation? The scope of our salvation. Well, notice what Mary says. She gives a very wide scope. She says, whatsoever, he says. That's the scope, whatsoever. Whatsoever, he says, bowing to Christ 
as our authority and to his word as our standard. We don't pick and choose which words or which commandments or which prohibitions. Whatsoever he says, that is our standard. Now, a lot of people professed to Christ in matters of salvation, but seem to turn a deaf ear in matters of everyday life, in matters of walk and talk and decision-making, etc. Let me ask you this. How did you order your daily affairs? Does Christ have anything to say about it? It's no wonder so many people are in a mess because they're not listening to him. They just don't want to go to hell, but they're not going to govern their lives by what he says, but it's whatsoever he says. How do you manage your money? Does Christ have anything to say about it? No wonder ends don't meet sometimes. How do you raise your children? You raise them according to your logic and judgment. You're going to get what you put into it. And it's no wonder we have so much rebellion today from children, disregard for their parents and for any authority because they weren't taught to look to Jesus for the direction in their lives, whatsoever he said. How do we determine our priorities? Does Christ have anything to say about them? Whatever he says ought to be. That whatsoever, that's a big word. It encompasses everything and it excludes nothing. Everything and everyone in our life comes under whatsoever, all right? Number four, what is the singleness of our salvation? Well, it says, Mary says, whatsoever he says unto you is single. This is direct. This is personal. Has he spoken to you? Is he speaking to you now? Then never mind what others are doing. Never mind where others are going. Never mind what others are saying. Get busy with what he has told you. You remember the uh, example that I've used so many times in John chapter 21? After the resurrection, and the apostles were out in the water fishing, and they saw the Lord Jesus uh, on the shore, and they swam in, and the Lord asked John three times, John, do you love me? And he said, I do. And he said, feed my sheep. You remember that? Then the Lord Jesus said to Peter, when you were young, you did what you wanted to do, but when you get old, Men are going to take you where you don't want to go. And then the Bible adds, This spake he of the means by which Peter would glorify the Lord in death. So he tells Peter something about his death. So what does Peter do? Well, he's still old Peter. So he looks to Jesus and he points over here to John. And he said, what about him? He said, what, what's he going to do? And listen, I'm going to read it to you, and then I'll translate it for you. Jesus said unto him, If it is my will that he live until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. That means none of your business, Peter, what I do with John. I'm talking to you, Peter, about what you're supposed to be doing. You get busy doing it, and you leave John to me. My friends, don't look at others. Don't look at the world. Don't look at even your friends or your colleagues.
to determine what you're going to do and what you're not going to do, whatsoever he says to you. The Lord speaks, I believe, only through his word by his spirit. And I believe he speaks to individuals. Uh, You know, sometimes he only speaks to one person. He said there were many widows in the days of Elijah the prophet, but unto none of them was the prophet sent, but unto one widow. He spoke to only one leper in Syria, that was Naaman. He spoke to only one. There were two thieves crucified with him. Only to one of them did he speak. One of them said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, this day you will be with me in paradise. But he didn't say one word to the other. When he passed through Jericho, he only spoke to one man, blind Bartimaeus. In the Old Testament, he only spoke to one nation, Israel. Jesus once said to a group of religious but lost Jews, you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. The Lord speaks to individuals. Has he spoken to you? Has he called you? Have you heard his voice? Then whatsoever he says unto you is the only thing you should be concerned about. All right, in the fifth place. We have the Savior's command and the sinner's response. What does Mary say? She says, whatsoever he says unto you, do it. Do it. If he's the source of authority, if his word is the standard and the scope for us, if he has spoken to us, there can only be one thing for us to do, and that is to do it. Do what he says. Do exactly what he says. Do it promptly and do it immediately. Now let's look here in this, we're almost through. Verse 7, she said, whatever he says, do it. And Jesus said to these fellows that had these water pots full of water, these water pots, he said, fill them with water. Verse 7, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said, now draw it out and serve it, beginning with the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and he didn't know where it was from. But the servants knew where that came from, verse 9. Now here's the thing. If somebody told you, like Elijah told this little woman, she was starving to death, and he came up to her house, there was a famine going on, everybody was starving. And he came to her house, and he said, uh, how about fixing me just a little meal? And she said, sir, I only have just a little bit of oil left, and a little bit of bread, and I was just fixing a prepare that for my son and I and then we were going to die because we don't have anything else. And the prophet said, go and borrow as many pots as you can from your neighbors. For what? That's what we, that'd be our our response, didn't it? Well, you crazy? Well, your neighbors might not have any oil, they might not have any bread, but they got some pots. Go get as many as you can get. And they went, they went out, and they got the pots, brought them back, 
And he said, now take that little bit of oil you've got and pour it into one pot. And when it's filled, pour it into another. And she filled up every single one of those pots. And he said, you take that oil and you use it and you sell the rest of it to pay off your debts. Well, that is not any more extravagant than Jesus saying, fill these water, these, these pots uh, up here, water pots with, with water, uh, 27 gallons of water, and uh, each. And it says that there were how many of them? There were six of them, verse, verse 6. There were six water pots of stone. And he said, fill them up with water. And then he said, go out and serve it to the wedding. Well, wait a minute now. They don't want any water. They, they, they're, they're out of wine. They're not out of water. They didn't ask any questions. They went out and served it. Is that not right? They went out and served it. Whatever he says unto you, do it. Do it. They did that, and the ruler of the feast, verse 9, when he had tasted, and verse 10, he says, this is the best wine I have ever tasted. And he said, you know, most of the time when we have a wedding, we serve all this good wine at the first because that's when they, they drink too much. You get a little bit inebriated and high, then you can serve some bad stuff. They don't know what it is then. don't care what it is. That's the intent. But he said, you have saved the best wine for the last. So I ask you a question. Did they understand what Jesus was doing? No. But what he's doing or why he's doing it is not the issue. Do you think those servants to whom he spoke understood what he was doing? He told them to pour water into several water pots and to serve it to the governor of the feast, and they did it, and the result was that the wedding was furnished with the best wine and that the Savior was glorified. What is he said to his church? Matthew chapter 28, Go into all the world and teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Those are the instructions to the church. Not entertain people. We're not in the entertainment business. I've got to answer to the Lord one day, and I don't want him to say, what are you doing down there entertaining people? Is that what you were doing the whole time? No, sir. I want to open up God's word. If we ever get in trouble in this nation, and all of us are facing some hard times, uh, we are facing even death, which could happen one of these days in the lives of some of you folks that are younger. That might happen. We've been headed that way for a while, but what's going to sustain you if you're a Christian? What's going to keep you from panicking? What's going to keep you from uh, saying, my God, what is going on? I've got to die because I'm a Christian. What's going to keep you from that? Are you going to remember when you were entertained in the church? Are you going to remember when everybody was singing? Are you going to remember the Word of God? The Word of God, the doctrine of God, the teaching of God in your soul is where you will get strength to stand against the wiles of the devil. If you don't have the Scripture in you, 
the Word of God in you, you're not going to have the strength to stand. Go and teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. So what has he said to you? Here's what he says in his word. Come unto me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Learn from me. I will teach you. I am meek and lowly in heart. You will find rest unto your soul. So right in there, Matthew 11, come to me. Take my yoke. Learn of me. If we would do that, the Lord will save us, and the Lord will teach us, and the Lord will give you some assurance of your salvation. Like I say, we complicate things. Mary said, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And that's everything we need to know. Right there in that passage. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. Let's stand.